Akash. Good morning. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks so much for being on today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Very excited for this. There's two things that I particularly want to talk about today. Um, and it's one is your story and betting on yourself. Uh, and the second is viewing feedback as a gift. And so uh, I want to start with your current role and where you are today. If we can introduce that and give the listener some context uh, and then want to want to talk more about how we actually work together and that actual interaction, that lesson that it took away. Because I think this is something that I really appreciate now that I wish I had learned both both of these lessons earlier. Yeah, exactly. I uh, would love to talk about that. Um, as, as we'll probably talk about this, it kind of also helped build the foundation of uh, our relationship, getting to know each other, you know, becoming friends. So, so that's awesome. So yeah, so should I just start um, with my... Yeah, what, yeah. What, what, let's talk about what you currently do day to day in your career and how you got there. Yeah, so I'm a senior product manager at Wayfair. Um, and right now I'm um, on the seller side of Wayfair. So consumers who shop for furniture would go to wayfair.com to buy their, buy their stuff. But on the other side of the marketplace, we have sellers as in suppliers who sell these products. So my role is focused on making the onboarding experience uh, for, for the sellers on our internal website. It's uh, actually, it's not internal website. It's a partner facing website uh, as in seller facing website. So making that onboarding experience seamless, frictionless, so that uh, sellers can be successful um, in getting their products on Wayfair and making their first sell. Got it. And so if I, let, just to make sure I understand that, let's yeah. say I have a furniture company mm-hmm. and I actually make chairs for offices and I want to sell them on Wayfair you work on the team that actually is responsible for the site that I would interact with to set my price, upload whatever metadata dimensions of it. Exactly. All that stuff. Got it. Exactly. And we have the first touch point with you as a seller on that platform uh, because we are in the uh, top of the funnel um, onboarding you as a new supplier. Okay. And so I, I'm particularly interested in sharing your story because you and I met we worked at Netflix together several years ago and you left to, you were, you were originally, when I, when I met you, you were an analytics engineer um, and you had a passion for doing more than just that. You wanted to be connected towards the bigger picture and the business side. And I knew that you really wanted to be a product manager and made that transition, but you took some bets on yourself. Yeah. And I remember thinking, what is this guy doing? What? <laughs> This doesn't seem like it makes sense uh, to do that. And I think that this is something that I wish I had known earlier is that career progress is not linear. And thinking about things only in a linear progression by optimizing for the short term can actually put you in a disadvantage over the long term. Meaning if you're only thinking about incremental pay raises or incremental job titles, you can actually put you on a path where you become pigeonholed or... um, seen as a specialist for only one area and it actually locks you in on a path that you actually may not want to be. And I think uh, there's a quote, Jeff Bezos, uh, to paraphrase, he said, uh, if if Amazon has a good quarter, it's not because of what we did in the previous 90 days, it's what we did in the previous three, four or five years. And so when I I thought about where you are today, I knew how much you 
put into betting on yourself mm-hmm. and being willing to take a percept or perceived, you know, step backwards uh, to, to achieve your, your ultimate long-term goal. I thought that's an excellent example to yeah. actually talk about. So uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about that actual transition and all the, all the yeah. sacrifice that you were willing to make to actually end yeah. up where you are right now. That is so true of what you described, right? Like, and uh, given this uh, podcast is called, I wish I knew. So I would say, I wish I knew someone told me uh, th- th- this early on in my career of uh, that careers don't need to be linear and uh, you can make trade-offs, which uh, would benefit you in the long term. So there is a-, a lot we can do by just optimizing for the long term instead of we are, I think we are inclined to make decisions that optimize uh, the returns in the short term. And so I also love the example of Jeff Bezos, as you, as you mentioned, and that's the difference you would see from, you know, a founder led uh, company versus kind of a hired CEO, because when you hire a CEO as a company, and especially in the old traditional companies, they would be hired towards the end of their career. So they'll probably have only five years of tenure left. Uh, and so they would only optimize for those five years. Whereas uh, a founder-led CEO like Jeff Bezos knows that there is like 30 years of uh, their own life and their own company to grow. So their thinking is probably more long-term. So I think we can apply that mindset of uh, fully uh, in on our careers as well. So, yeah, so uh, I started my career as uh, an analytics uh, uh, in, in analytics. So first job was uh, at Amazon, um, kind of as a data engineer. So this was even more backend data engineering work where I was architecting, architecting data warehouses, uh, building some reporting. Uh, did that for a while, moved to Facebook, uh, continued doing some of that, but it was a little more stakeholder facing work where I was focused more on data visualization and reporting. And so while I was doing this, I figured that I'm good at this stuff because I've been doing it for a while, but uh, my natural uh, inclinations were towards looking at problems from a more holistic standpoint than just uh, approaching it from one uh, hammer that I've been given to solve it. And so um, so I wanted to, be closer to the business problems, and I want to approach it, uh, approach the problems not just through analytics, but also through design and psychology and a partnership with other people and all of that. So I figured that product management is probably the role that would uh, that would potentially provide me that opportunity. But I didn't see an easy path to get there because the career paths were designed in a way to grow, uh, you know up the ladder. So I had a whole lot of opportunities that I was getting in Silicon Valley, which was like, oh, become a senior analytics engineer. It would be great fit for that. But uh, you know, ha- making this transition internally or externally was kind of a nightmare. Um, we, and the other thing that happens in corporate to all of us, I would say, is that you know, whatever, you, the, whatever your first job is or whatever the first few jobs uh, you had in your career, that kind of determines uh, for good or bad what the rest of your uh, career, if you had to put it on autopilot, it would just keep going in that direction, right? And so you brought up this point, like, yeah, there is there is a there is pigeonholing happening, and you can be positioned as a specialist. And if you want to be a generalist, it's not the great deal for you. Uh, similarly, like someone who starts, say, as a consultant, right? They are pigeonholed as a generalist because now the world perceives them as oh, this guy is a generalist and like probably won't be a good specialist. They probably want to be a specialist. So it's it's this battle uh, 
yeah so so yeah so did, did so i wasn't finding the right product management opportunity from facebook um and so i decided okay i'm good i'm just going to quit this and do my own startup so i i quit this i went back to bangalore uh did my uh b2b did a b2b analytics startup um uh, did that for a year that was my b2b, first, B2B. yeah J just uh want to jump in for a minute for anyone that's not familiar with the terminology b2b let's clarify what that is yeah business to business so when you're basically uh, building software uh, for enterprises, um, right? So, um, so yeah, or like SaaS, which is also software as a service. So, so yeah, so I was um, I was doing that. Um, that was me signing myself up for product management in a way. Like I gave myself the job because no one else was giving me the job at that time. Um, and so obviously, this also meant that you know I was me. I had a cushy life and a cushy job at Facebook. Uh, where I uh, would drive a convertible in Bay Area. It was so amazing, so fantastic. And it meant like leaving all of that and just living a very austere life. Of so um, so then did this for a year uh, and uh, I, the startup did not work out. And uh, I figured I want to get back into the industry. So that's when I came back uh, to Netflix. And uh, at Netflix, I joined as a senior analytics engineer in pretty much the same kind of role that I'd be doing. So uh, at that time, I just wanted to do something that's comfortable because I wasn't trying to make a hard switch in my career, uh, kind of coming up from uh, kind of, a, uh, you know, it wasn't the best mental state for me to try something new. Um, so yeah, so was doing that. On paper, the job was great <laughs> because you're kind of working in content analytics and content is king for Netflix. So it's like the, uh, it's it's a job that a lot of people would want to do. So I'm I'm very grateful that I had that job, uh, right? Uh, at the same time, I figured that this is not I see myself doing long long term, and uh, there wasn't any path for me to get to the other side or to get to uh, solving or taking bigger responsibilities like getting into getting some experience uh, managing teams, leading teams, all of that, right? Uh, so. And then, so I did a very unusual <laughs> move, which is uh, to move to consulting because uh, I figured, okay, product management is highly competitive. Everyone wants to get into product management and it's a chicken and egg problem. Um, every time I talk to a recruiter, they would say, oh, you need to be a product manager to be a product manager. So I was like, okay, let me rebrand. Re let me try to rebrand re myself from being a specialist to being a generalist who has some experience uh, with people management and you know, uh, uh, client management and just solving problems holistically. So it was easier for me to get into consulting than, than to get into product management. So moved to PwC. And so a lot of things changed during this time. Uh, I was in LA for my job. And I believe you, you also, yeah, you left uh, being in LA working at Netflix to go work at PwC yeah. on the East Coast, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, that was a that was a pretty big shift. Just moving from West Coast to East Coast, so moved to New York City. Um, uh, it it also meant like I had to travel a lot in this new job. Um, yeah, but the bigger shift in that transition was uh, was a pay cut. Was a massive pay cut that I had to take from uh, being in a in a very respectable tech job to 
being in consulting, you're kind of uh, starting from scratch and like uh, the, 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 the compensation is different uh, than, than it's there. So, so yeah, so did that for a couple of years, uh, did consulting, so gained a lot of new skills. Uh, it was a gamble, to be honest. And like you said, right, like a lot of my friends were also kind of questioning this move. They're like, are you crazy? How does this add up? People do that. People make the move the other way, right? So they come from yeah. consulting to industry. So why would you do the opposite? Um, and so I pretended that I know what I'm doing. There was some belief that I had in myself, but it was also, I wasn't sure like this could have, <laughs> this could have been a bad move uh, for my career, but I, it worked out finally uh, with, with some conviction, some luck and, you know, right timing, right place. I landed a uh, job at Wayfair as a, as a, uh, as, as a product manager. Right. And I, I think this, this is a, a great example of uh, having conviction and knowing what it is that you want as an outcome and then being deliberate and intentional to actually get it and focus on the long-term. And in product management, there's this uh, concept of a North Star, uh, I think in, in businesses as well, but effectively what this means is a North Star is a, it's a, a analogy from you know people earlier on navigating the physical world. And if they ever got lost, they knew how to look up at the stars to help them get back on track. And so right. in product management in North star is basically what is the number one thing that we're really trying to prioritize more than the other things that if we have to make a trade-off, which you inevitably will, life is all about, you know, decisions and, you know, choices and trade-offs. Um, how will I know which one I'm going to prioritize more highly? And so I'm taken away from this. You have a personal North star in your career, yeah. right? That was the type of work that you wanted to do. Right. And as you navigated through uh, different, you know, jobs, you were looking still at that North star of where you wanted to go. And I think that's um, really important because it's easy to be thrown off by your friend's comments in the short term if they don't know. Yeah. Right. Or if you have a different North star, if you're, if your North star is just maximizing your earnings, right. Your, your, or, or, or prestige, for example, right. You yeah. left a more prestigious come argue working at, at Netflix um, was a more prestigious title right and yeah. even had a you know a pay cut right if, if your north star is just um going to be about the ego stroke that comes from the prestige right you are optimizing for that at the expense of potentially interesting work that lights you up more or doing something that uh is more impactful or or other things right exactly. and so because you had that north star uh you were able to make that decision with confidence knowing where you wanted to go, that was the guiding point in your career. And now it's, it's worked out for you and you bet on yourself and doing that. So I, I have a lot of respect for you for, for, for doing that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's definitely, I think, uh, knowing your, and there is no right answer on what the North star should be. Like you said, it's very personal, so it can be different things for different people. Some people for it's completely fine. If someone has a North star for making them, uh, maximizing, uh, their compensation, it could be maximize like getting to the role that they look for but knowing that not start and just knowing that you know you can't have it all so <laughs> the, that's that's why it's a not start because you, you you know that you'll be making trade-offs along the way right um so i think there is there is a lot of value in just spending some time knowing your not start and then working backwards from it so if my next move is not directionally aligned with where i want to end up it's probably i'm probably optimizing yeah. for the short term 
Totally. So yeah, that would be one recommendation. If you don't have a North star right now in your career, start thinking about it and in your, your life overall, because we have a finite amount of time here on this planet. And I don't think we think enough about how we're using our day to day. Uh, I think COVID probably is bringing a lot of this out as well, where you see a lot more uh, folks who value working from home because of the time that it, they get back in their day instead of commuting. And now quality of life is becoming a, a higher, more highly prioritized metric uh, as opposed to other things, believing boys, exactly. you know, work, they, they value freedom or the ability to have flexibility to travel, be the digital nomad and see all of these different experiences versus being in one office or one city. That's so true. I'm sure if there's a COVID, if there's a poll on this before COVID and after COVID, that, that percentage would have spiked quite significantly of how many people now value, are, are making career decisions or decisions right. about like next job, just you know, with that in mind. Uh, totally. Um, all right. This is the, the, I want to switch topics here now to the feedback as a gift, mm-hmm. as uh, this is a really important thing that I appreciate now in my life and wish I had appreciated more earlier on. And uh, so the, I'll, I'll set the context here from how I perceived it from my side. Yeah. Um, and I'd love for you to chime in and, and, and you know, share your, how, how the situation happened from your side, but yeah, this is, uh, we were both working at Netflix. I was on the product side, you were on the analytics side, um, and inherently cross-functional work, meaning working with team members from, from different, um, backgrounds and, uh, it is inherent in, you know, doing any, any complex project, right? You're, communication is such an important skill. It's not optional. And being able to communicate with different types of audiences is is very important for effective cross-functional work. Um, The setting was that I was looking for a report uh, to evaluate the success of a new product um, that we had just rolled out. And you and I were working together. You were responsible for this actual report and I interpreted the data in there to not be accurate. Mm, and I think it was, <laughs> I remember that day I had a lot going on or, or something on, on Slack. And I remember saying, Hey man, what's up with this? Getting yeah. VP, getting pressure from my VP, uh, asking me about stuff. And I'm like, Hey, this, this report is BS. Right. And, uh, that did not go over well with you. Um, yeah. and I was not intending it to be in a, an, an attack on you. Right. Uh, and you provided me some feedback that in which uh, I was faced with the opportunity of offensive about it being, um, you know, interpreting something in the worst possible way or understanding how I can use that uh, hmm. to be more mindful of a communicator and be a better teammate. And yeah. so I think that situation um, could have gone a different way. If I had a, a different level of maturity or at a different point of time in my life, I would have handled it differently. Uh, yeah. but in return, we actually, it actually became a point for me to grow. And we actually have stayed in touch, you know, since working yeah. together and we both, both move on from, from the company. So. Exactly. And, um, uh, I, I mean, I would say that I also got to learn a lot through that interaction, right? So uh, while that, and I, I'll just get into the details of then what happened, but like while that specific communication 
uh, was not perfect, but we, the, the things that we did right after was uh, quite mature on both of our parts. Um, so, so when, yeah, so when I, when I received that message from you on Slack, um, uh, that these numbers are BS. So I, the way I perceived it is, um, well, part of me was, um, uh, part of me acknowledged that you're, this is not a personal attack. Like you're not making a comment on me. It's probably a comment on that specific action or that specific piece of work that we are doing, right? So, um, but at the same time, I also perceived this uh, as a more of an accusatory comment than a consultative comment, right? So, uh, and so because I had worked in analytics oh, for a while. Like, Akash. I think I think um, we may have a gap there, so we're gonna have to edit that part. Okay, cool. Um, internet connection is unstable, so let's let's try that again. Um, sure. Going back to immediately once you actually got that um, that feedback, I think how you perceived it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, so when I uh, when I received uh, that that Slack message with said uh, the numbers are BS, so I think there were two things going on in my mind. The first was I acknowledged that this is not uh, like this is not a personal attack. So you're not like making a comment about me necessarily. It's about uh, a comment specific to a piece of work that I was supposed to deliver and we are collaborating on. So so there is a there is a I think in every feedback or every interaction, there's an arguable and an unarguable. So there is an unarguable truth to it that the numbers are incorrect, numbers were incorrect. And um, we, uh, I should have a senior analyst potentially been more careful about, um, about, about putting those numbers out. The arguable part was where I was offended. So in what the way I perceived that communication was, it was a bit accusatory uh, and less consultative, right? So um, the the uh, how I would have expected that communication to go was something like you come back to me uh, with, hey, Akash, uh, are you sure these numbers are right? I did something on my end and things don't add up. Maybe we can double check because being in uh, analytics or also product management, like we see that this stuff happens a lot. Like it's, uh, it's hard to get the numbers right at like sometimes. And then you looking back, maybe even I didn't work uh, in a consultative fashion with you. And so we didn't work as a team. We kind of were doing our own roles. So I just put out some numbers and there was no communication. Like I didn't set the expectation. Hey, Jonathan, can I have like a few minutes of, uh, of yours and like, can we work through this to make sure that these numbers are right before you actually went and presented those numbers, right? So there was that lacking from my side. And then there was that lacking for, from your end as well, where you came back with that, these numbers are wrong, what's, what's. So, so I think there was an opportunity uh, on, on, on our side to do that. Anyway, so I felt offended. So uh, I uh, sent you an email uh, right. And uh, so I, I, I think I summarized in that email that, hey, I'm sure you didn't mean this, but it it didn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the right mode of communication in a professional setting for me. So I wasn't expecting, uh, I was expecting you to be more empathetic or whatever, like to appreciate my work. I think a lot of it is just uh, feeling appreciated 
for uh, for the intent that uh, I was out there for, right? So I was obviously there with a positive intent to help you and help Netflix. Um, so so I sent that email. Uh, I, I let you describe what happened after. From my side, I think the way you responded to that was 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 very mature of you, uh, because at a high level, I would say that you didn't immediately react to that because a lot of times when you give someone feedback, they just immediately react and say, I disagree or let's get in a fight. So you, you took your time to come back with, with a response. And you also thanked me for the feedback. Uh, now you may not agree with that feedback fully. There is probably parts of it you agree with, but, but the fact that we could uh, approach it more, uh, more maturely on both sides, I think helped us uh, with that uh, relationship building beyond that. Yeah, I, I I agree. And that is the thing that being able to be self-aware, uh, I, I think self-awareness is a super skill. I've talked about it before and we'll continue to talk about it. We all have blind spots and mm-hmm. we all have areas that we need to grow, but we may not ever realize them ourselves. And that's why feedback is so valuable because, and why I do have learned to accept it as a gift where, you know, earlier in my career, I was much more defensive. Um, I realized that you were sharing something from your perspective that is worthy of me understanding. It's worthy of me really appreciating where you're coming from. Uh, and I cannot achieve my best if I, I'm not being able to be coachable on ways that I can be easy to work with. Right. And in our career, imagine, um, in a different world where I have a, a different response right now, it's this guy's hard to work with, or this person is antagonistic. And that's how you build a reputation in, in work. And, you know, your first job might come from an online posting, right? Maybe your second job might come from an online posting, but later in your career, it's going to come from referrals and from people who have worked with you. Right. And no one, no matter how smart you are or good you are, or think you are most people, very, very, very few people are, are, you know, in such a position where they're irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I, I mean, and, and, and I mean this in the sense that, um, no matter how good you are, no one wants to work with someone that's a jerk. No mm-hmm. brilliant jerks is actually one of the, uh, values at, yeah. I believe at Netflix, right? Um, it's yeah. all about the team and being a good teammate involves, communicating well and communicating involves not just, you know, one directional communication. It's, it's speaking, it's writing clearly, but also being able to listen. So that's one of the biggest things in in my growth is being able to learn how to listen. And I appreciate you giving me that gift. Right. And, and me being able to take that and grow. And now here we are, I would say that, you know, we've, we've interacted 10 times more outside of Netflix than we ever did inside. Right. Um, yeah. And so I would say, I appreciate having you as a, as a friend and, um, any, anyone who thinks about, I think it's, it's earlier on in our lives is oftentimes it's like, if you don't agree with me, um, then we can't be friends, right? If you say yeah. something that I don't like, then we don't have to be friends. And I think particularly in our country, we see this now more than ever, which I think <laughs> is really unfortunate. Yeah. People aren't willing to have, you know, conversations to understand the other side where they're coming from and being able exactly. to see you know, at the core of it, it's being able to deal with an uncomfortable conversation and be able to see the other person's side, see the merit in the other person's side. Um, and it doesn't That's have to be true. a right, 
right, I'm right, you are wrong. We both, you know, can both be correct in, in how we're saying something and experience it. And then the situation is independent of someone having to, to, to make a judgment over, over who's right and who's wrong. That is so true. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my personal observation as well. Like how we have kind of formed our beliefs and we stick to those beliefs. So, um, you know, so religiously that, you know, we, we invite the people who absolutely agree with us to the dinner table and we won't have anyone who has a different point of view and, uh, in a more collaborative setup or, uh, you know, you would want to hear everyone's point of view. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you yeah. uh, for sharing that. And it, it's funny, even the podcast that the background setup here, <laughs> someone gave me some feedback. I didn't know that, you know, the, uh, setup I had previously wasn't as, as nice as it could look. Um, I thought it was fine, but you know, a couple of people gave me feedback on that. Now I look at it as a gift, like, cool, this is free coaching. Thank you. You know, yeah, um, it, it, it looks amazing. And, and I'm, 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 I'm glad you brought that, you know, feedback is a gift terminology. I think we should probably just do a brief mention of that because it's such a, you know, wonderful piece of thought just to ingrain in your mind. Because I think we receiving feedback and giving feedback both is an art. And uh, I, I believe there is uh, some, you know, you know, articles written on how to give feedback well, but I don't see enough materials on how to receive feedback well. And uh, so when I used to work at Facebook, um, I was, uh, you know, still early in my career. So I was more defensive about receiving feedback. So every time my, my manager would give me some feedback, I would just go into a defensive mode. So I would be like, no, 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 let me explain. Like, this is what happened. <laughs> and so, but, but the nice thing about this was Facebook had uh, posters on each wall which said feedback is a gift. And uh, so one of the things that my manager inculcated in me back then was, you know, every time you receive some feedback, maybe consider making it a habit of saying thanks for the feedback, even if even if you don't agree with the feedback, right? Because if we, if we just assume that the person who's giving us feedback is... Uh, giving it from a place of compassion and giving it from a place of trying to um, add value to your life. And if I'm someone as receiving the feedback, someone who believes in growth and you know someone who believes in learning um, from, from, from things to improve on and get better as a person, then feedback is truly a gift. And then I should thank the person for giving me the feedback. And of course I can, you know, take my time to dissect that and say, okay, these are the parts that I agree with. These are the parts I don't agree with. So even to going back to that example, there are, there is some objective truth to what you had told me. So I, it's not like, I cannot just say I, those, those numbers were incorrect. So that is an objective truth. So, uh, right. So, but how it was communicated was, so there is, uh, an element of quality check or something that like I need to get better. That was a feedback for me. Uh, and then the feedback for you was uh, what you say versus how you say things is um, it just makes a difference. Right. Totally. One thing I want to ask about uh, is routines and habits. Cause this is something that um, I think a lot more about now. Mm -hmm. 
And I know that you just mentioned the habit of, Hey, well, as soon as somebody uh-huh. gives you some feedback, say, thank you for it. Um, are there other habits that you have, whether it's in regards to communication or how you even set up your day, um, that have benefited you? Yeah, sure. So I think there is at least one uh, broad habit that I've started, you know, uh, getting into. And then there are a couple of habits that I'm trying to get better at, right, or trying to develop. So the first is just, you know, uh, you know, your fitness around physical fitness, uh, uh, um, psychologically, mental health and all of that, and social, um, you know, uh, the the I, I so let me try to rephrase this. So basically, I think how I feel overall and uh, and 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 how that you know translates into how I communicate with people uh, as a leader or as um, as as a friend, you know, depends on kind of uh, three or four things in my life, right? So am I uh, physically fit? Am I mentally fit? And do I have the right social interactions in my life? So I try to make sure that all of those elements uh, are in place. So that forms the foundation for just being in a meditative state of mind at all times. So that, uh, you know, in all my interactions, I'm never reacting to a situation, uh, you know, and and I'm able to uh, approach anything uh, with, with clear thought. So, Health and fitness would be the first habit, I would say. Uh, the second, uh, the second habit that I'm trying to work on, which I think there is a lot of gap uh, I have, is undivided attention. So it's so hard to do today. You know, just giving. I think anyone you're talking to receives, uh, sorry, deserves your undivided attention, right? So whether it's your partner, your friend, or your colleague, right? And we we are just designed, our brains are now wired to be multitasking all the time. So if I'm in a meeting and still kind of checking my emails, responding to Slack or writing a document, I'm not giving my undivided attention to the speaker. So right now is a good example where, because we know this is a podcast, we are actively into it. So I'm kind of giving my undivided attention at this time. And I would like to do that at all times in my life, um, right? And the third habit I would mention that I'm trying to work on is kind of radical candor. How do how do you practice that uh, with your friends and colleagues? Um, radical candor, but not at the cost of being a jerk. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, not at the cost of being nice. So uh, that's 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 a, that's a fine balance there. But yeah, yeah. And I I have not read that book, but I've heard great things about it. Radical candor. Yeah, it's 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 a great book. Um, uh, totally worth reading because it's a fine balance between, you know, uh, being too nice versus doing the right thing uh, for 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 the company for the person that you're working with. Um, so, so sometimes we are just trying to be very polite and nice to the person, and as a result, we end up doing more harm in the long run in the short run right no that, that's great i think that that's something that is very much part of when you think about like a doctor diagnosing somebody with a disease mm-hmm. yeah right that's you don't have time to tell them you know uh yeah. in a 
polite way or try to cage something. And so you're trying to get somebody to be, um, you know, take action on what advice your person, you, you know, this person's giving you. Right. Um, yeah. so in a similar way, there's a balance between, uh, giving someone, uh, advice that's useful and helpful yeah. and yeah. also, you know, protecting someone's emotions or, or their feelings. Exactly. Yeah. Being, being, and that, that is a, that is a skill. That is a, a, absolutely a skill and something that I think everybody, I would say, even in this country, there's a lot of discon, dis, um, I would say there's a lot of de denial, um, and potentially people who are avoiding difficult conversations, inconvenient right. truths, That's uh, so whether, whether it's about, you know, the, the ecology and our environmental impacts, people don't want to admit certain things or, whether it's mm -hmm. racial tensions or, or how things are set up from a systemic way. Right. Um, they contribute to, you know, number of different symptoms that you see at the core of it is we need to have these conversations. And I think you and I modeling yeah. this, sharing our own experience, right. is one way of helping increase the number of normalizing those difficult conversations and understanding beautiful things can, can come out of them. Exactly. Very much. Yeah, this has been great having you on. Um, before we, we wrap up, I uh, got to say this this episode, this podcast is called I Wish I Knew, mm -hmm. all about the things that I know now that I wish I knew earlier. Um, viewing feedback as a gift is one of those for me. Hence, I wanted to have you on as well as the importance of betting on yourself. Uh, I'm curious if there's anything else that you would add. Yeah, so definitely. So, I mean, there's probably a huge list of things I wish I knew because uh, I feel, and this is why I think this podcast is so helpful because there are so many, uh, there's just so many things that we didn't know when we started off. And uh, a lot of the people who are starting off now can benefit from uh, from hearing from different, uh, you know, people who come on this podcast. Uh, so for me, I would say broadly two things I wish I knew. The first one, if someone told me how important it is to be intentional about your career or being deliberate about your career right so and and to not have it run in autopilot and we talked about this uh, at the beginning of this episode um so yeah so i would i would greatly encourage people who are who are ambitious i mean if if if, the, if career is not your priority then that's a different uh, question then you're it's about being intentional about your life in general but if if you're ambitious and if you want to get something out of your career then just being intentional about how you design your career is just so important um, the second uh, thing i wish i knew is to cut through the corporate bullshit it took me a while to do this honestly um, every there is so much corporate bullshit especially now and a lot of it rooting from silicon valley uh, you know I, I see there are broadly two kinds of companies. One, which we call the old school dinosaur companies, right? The, the banks, the consulting firms, and so you, and the government jobs. And so you kind of know how things work there, right? Like we all know it's hierarchical and it's like, you know, um, they're, they're trying to make more money. That's the, that's, that's the motive of the company. In Silicon Valley, they kind of have repackaged the same thing as, as if it's something new. Mm. And like, like they're selling kind of uh, <laughs> a completely alternative reality. Uh, so it feels great on the outside, but when you unpack that, you see the same shit. So it's kind of like gaslighting young minds with, with this yeah. uh, 
it happens at all levels from the top like when we talk about we are here to make the world a better place we are here to change the world all of that and also to the level of you know individual management and you know to the, and also employees ICs for them it happens at all levels I'd agree with you on that. I mean, both of those are great, but yeah, um, definitely it took me a while to understand the difference between what's written on the website and what the, you know, what they say, how they operate versus actually how things actually work. And that gap in the time that it took me to realize that, you know, there's a a real cost to that. Exactly. Uh, So the reason that's important, the reason it's important to cut through the bullshit is because if you don't know what the game is, you can't play the game. You're, yeah. You'll be playing a different game and yeah. you're optimizing for different things. I would rather know how so the hard. game works. So, totally agree. Totally. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's what I had on that. Cool. Any books you're reading? Anything you recommend? Um, so, um, uh, this one is, uh, slightly unrelated, but, uh, you know, I'm reading, uh, I, I just finished reading a book called contagious. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, this is, uh, not about, uh, a pandemic. Is it a, is it a pandemic? <laughs> it's, uh, it, uh, so this book is to, uh, it's, it's basically a marketing book, but it, uh, is how to get your ideas viral, uh, uh, so whether it's your ideas, products, content, whatever, whatever you have. So what causes virality, right? How, how can we reverse engineer how certain things became viral? And then can we increase the likelihood of, of, of virality? So is it, is it um, the one who delivers the message versus the message itself that is causing it to be viral? And what are the uh, tools that were used to do that? Interesting. Cool. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah. Cool. Well, Akash, this has been great. Um, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your side of the story. Um, appreciate having you in my life as well, and appreciate you giving me feedback as a gift. Um, anybody's interested in reaching out or, or learning more about you? Um, is there any way they can follow up with you? Yeah, I would say the best way would be LinkedIn. Cool. And we'll make sure. So I, yeah, maybe you can include those links. We'll include those links in the in the notes there. Awesome. Awesome, man. Much appreciated. Yeah, great chatting with you, Jonathan. Uh, good luck with the rest of the podcast episodes. Thank you.